RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. It's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and I am finally back behind the microphone, and I am so happy to be here. And I just wanted to say, I, oh my God, I did it again, Holly. What? I left my speakers on, and now like my own feedback is blaring <laughs> in my ears. You would think that I would learn something by now, but obviously not. Got to get the little bit of the rust off. Uh, happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to you. Holly Amos is back with us again. How are you, Holly? I'm good. How are you? How was your crazy trip across the country? It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> um, it was a lot of fun. I didn't get to really enjoy like the great American road trip because I had to basically get to here in Southern California and to Gainesville in four days and then do some unpacking and do some... Yeah, I feel like I feel in. like sightseeing and moving doesn't really go hand in hand with each other, do they? Not, not really. No, I mean we were like up out on the road, up out on the road, wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, we were on stuck on pretty much like impulse power the entire time. I did try to go to warp point five, but then a, an intergalactic trooper in Texas stopped me. Oh no! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, did you get a ticket? So. I I was going across. Uh, I was I was I was trying to accelerate past a couple of big rigs, right? I wanted to get a, you know uh, around them, and then all of a sudden I saw a couple of lights behind me. I'm like, that can't be for me. I was only going 86 <laughs> and an 80, right? So he pulls me over and he says, "Yeah, can I see your license and registration, please?" Oh, you I'm have like, the accent, great. Yeah, and I go, "Officer, how you doing? Uh, Happy New Year!" Because it was on New Year's Day, and uh, he said. Uh, you understand that I pulled you over for speeding, son? And I said, you know, I was just trying to get around that truck. How fast was I going off? She's like, well, you were going six miles over the speed limit of 80. You're doing 86. Wow. I'm like. Sticklers. Mm. Yeah. And he goes, and I know in California, because he was looking at my license. He goes, I know in California that they may give you a couple of freebies, but this is Texas. I'm like. Wait, you're not going 86 in Los Angeles. You're going like six in Los so, Angeles. He goes, but it's New Year's and I'm in a good mood, so I think I'm just going to give you a warning. So why don't you oh, slow down a little bit? Oh, that's nice. I, when I was a kid, my first uh, experience with getting pulled over was my mother had taken my sisters and I to Disneyland. And uh, a family friend was also going the same day and we spotted her car on the freeway and my mother was trying to catch up to her and uh, got pulled over for speeding. And I was like five years old in the backseat, like, we're going to jail. And like my mother's birthday (laughs) was like, God, like must have been like a month prior, like so long in the past. And the guy, I think he felt really bad for like the child crying in the backseat. So he ended up letting my mother (laughs) off with a warning as a birthday gift. (laughs) And that was my first experience. I mean, I wasn't the one getting pulled over, but I was like, we're not going to Disneyland. We're going to My birthday's ruined. (laughs) Ah, tears. 
So I apologize to all the listeners. I, I had to jump into this, uh, this conversation with Holly because we haven't seen each other in a few weeks. And I wanted to say Happy New Year to her. I want to say Happy New Year to everybody that has joined us tonight. Let's see who's here with us. I'm going to go through the roll call here. Alan Perry is here. We have A. Paul. That would be one. We have Paul 2. And we have Paul 3. Ah! We have the Paul Fecta. We have a Paul Nucopia of Paul's. Uh, Dominic's with us. Uh, Scott Palm's with us. Hello. Evelyn. Hello. Uh, Peter. David. David Takechi and Dave Taylor. So we have Dave and David. Um, we have someone by the last name of Amos. Bob. <laughs> Hi, Dad. I'm sure that my my <laughs> mom is... Oh, my mom, my mother is watching. My dad just said that my mom's <laughs> laughing about the story. Um, my grandfather is probably watching too. Hi, Grandpa. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Tate's with us. Uh, Chris Riker. Uh, let's see. Rick is with us. And Scott Palm. Uh, that's a big hooray. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And uh, we are... Um, we are going to catch up for a little bit because Holly and I have not had a chance to talk about, I haven't had a chance to talk with her about Star Trek Discovery. She hasn't had a chance to talk with me. It's been about three weeks, so we haven't had a chance to talk about basically from Sue Cal to the finale. Yeah. Oh, so, and we are waiting for, we are Julianne waiting for Grossman! our special guest. And she is, I'm sure that she is on her way to join us for this show and until then, you are going to get the added bonus of listening to us because <laughs> that's what we do. And because that this is technically uh, my last show of this particular live show season with Holly, I'd like to just do a little bit of catching up and seeing where, where we are with our Star Trek Discovery notes. Are we aligned? Are we maligned? Or where are we? Well, let's see where we are from last week. Last week's poll, we asked what people thought of the final episode of season three okay. so we got we got 260 votes uh 50 of you half of you said that you loved it hooray 28 said 28 said that they liked it 15 percent are meh and seven percent didn't like it at all mm. um and then w- this week we are asking what is your overall take on season three so so far we have 90 votes 34 percent they loved it 40 percent said they liked it 18 percent are meh and 8% are didn't like it. It'll be interesting to see like when it gets to kind of like that 260-300 count uh, where where the percentages lie. So before we get into uh, our little back and forth here, Hall, I just want to let everyone know that if you want to call in and discuss how you feel about Season 3 or if you just want to talk to us about Star Trek Discovery this season in general or the finale or how you voted, however you want to talk about your fandom, please call 669 669- Nine zero zero six eight three three, or use the the one tap on your smartphone or the Zoom meeting ID. Earl is really uh, he's really really excited to take your call, put you in to talk with us because that's what we do here on Mission Log Live. I, I feel a little over caffeinated. That's why I'm a, probably a little jittery. <laughs> also, I, I I'm in this new lighting setup, so I have this. I, I basically have like a reflector dish that is. Um, Gotta get that halo light, man. Yeah, it, this is not good. And my five head is really, it's really killing it right now. Uh, more, more lens flare than J.J. Abrams movie. That's right. I said that live on, on TV here. So um, <laughs> we have a couple of callers lined up. But just to kind of rewind here a little bit and see where we are 
with Star Trek Discovery. I probably would have voted for um, the overall take on season three. I liked it. The finale episode, I liked it. I, I loved some, liked more. And that's kind of like where I'm at with the season. I loved some of it. I liked some of it. And some of it, it was just like, I wish I could have gotten a little bit more. Uh, I, I wish they... I'm not a big fan of the mirror stuff anymore. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that, how, you know, the mirror universe feels a little bit overdone at this point. I understand that they needed a jumping off point for Giorgio, but sure, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the mirror universe for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get why they did it. It's just that because you take essentially two episodes to kind of tell that story, you take, you know, that 48 minutes times two and there's a lot you can do with that time where you don't feel like you have to pretty much race from Sukal to the end and like throw in just this really, really fast paced, you know, um, very high tempo narrative of the burn, who yeah. Sukal is, how are you going to rectify this with the Emerald Chain? And then at the end, you know, everyone is okay. Everyone gets kind of like new clothes, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, happens. I mean, we discussed that last week because, you know, the second to last episode, we were like, how are they going to wrap everything up? They have to do that really quickly. Uh, it wasn't like a 45, 50 minute episode. Actually, the last episode was an hour and five minutes long. So they they have the luxury of being able to make it a little longer since they're not on network television. But I, yeah, I do feel like I loved the season, but I only liked the final episode because it did feel rushed and there were things that I felt like didn't get properly wrapped up um or I was reading too far into it like the cat I guess the cat's just a cat and I wanted the cat to be more <laughs> I was like, what about cat to be more. <laughs> where where'd she go what she do is she real queen or not I want to know yeah you know that's <laughs> That's kind of where you you rob Peter to pay Paul, and there's there's that exchange of there are only X amount of hours. Obviously, you plot this storyline well in advance. It's not like they were pivoting to a new storyline for some type of you know mid season replacement. They knew that this this is a story that they wanted to tell. Yeah, and I know that these writers and and the producers, directors, everybody involved, they're very talented people. It's just that when you put that and plot that on a board, you'd be like. Do you think that we have enough room at the end of this to tell the story that we want to tell? It started off, I think, fabulously. It just mm-hmm. it was it was wonderful. It was unsettled. Saru and Tilly were having this great dynamic. They were growing together as a as a couple, a couple, you know, in terms of mentor student. The same thing with Burnham and Book. There's kind of a mentor student relationship going on there. There was a lot of that dynamic going on. And then it got kind of sidetracked. And then it, I, I felt like it just really didn't get back on track. It was like three out of four wheels were moving in the same yeah. direction. You know, and one was kind of like a spare tire. Yeah, okay. and there's there's something to be said about um, the level of character development for, I mean, Michael and Saru and Tilly, like they've got pretty good character development, but there's there's quite a few characters on the bridge that are the bridge crew that I would Mm -hmm. like to know more about and I feel like because these are not bottle episodes whereas like you know you watch the the next generation and every single episode has like it's about this character yeah a problem that like this is a data episode this is a Riker episode and there's always some random B plot that they do as well but without there being bottle episodes when there's more 
storytelling in terms of serialized, like you don't get the same kind of character development, which I think is <laughs> something that we're missing out on. But I do understand why serialization is a thing. I just sure. am disappointed that with serialization, we lose a lot of character development. Well, I think the one the one like uh, dangling thread that was really never addressed, and it was brought up so well at the very beginning, was Detmer. Like you know, Detmer's PTSD and what was going on with that, and they made a huge point of having her and Culber establish this relationship of doctor and patient, and what they're going to go where were they where are they going to go with that, and that never really went anywhere. Oh well, well I mean, oh my God, I'm going to why why haven't we gotten a, an episode just on her? She d- I mean, I did see a lot of people complain about that specifically, saying that, like, whatever happened to her PTSD, like, that got resolved in the episode where she flies Book's ship and she attacks the Viridian. Like, she gets her confidence back. That's what her problem was. I don't think that was clear enough. I think exactly. a lot of people sort of missed that, that mm-hmm. that part of her storyline was actually wrapped up and resolved. Yeah, it was, it was very quick. You know, yeah, it, it got it, lost in translation. For it sure. didn't have its own moment, you know, like where she she was able to reconcile that. Maybe she just needed to reconcile that with Culber saying, "Like I'm good," you know, we did this. There's somebody in chat saying that they're not really a cat person, so that they're okay with Grudge not being. I'm reading way too far into it. I'm not because <laughs> I'm not really. A cat. I'm allergic to cats. I just wanted to know why the cat was such a big deal at the beginning of the season. And then it turned out that like, we didn't even see her in the last episode. Well, if anyone's out there, like is a big men in black fan, then you know that there's, you know, there was the jewel, uh, the universe, literally the universe on this, on the cat's collar. And it Orion's was like, belt, Orion's belt. Right. So maybe like, you know, we, we love cats and oh, most of us love cats. I, can't say I everyone will cats. sneeze on every cat, every but, cat, but doesn't make you dislike them. No, actually, I have, like, two godchildren, and they're both cats. So, I mean, I do like cats. They just make me sneeze a lot. I have to take drugs to be able to be around them for long periods of time. Otherwise, I get very miserable. I'm going to ask you one more question before we jump into the uh, the calls. So, what do you want to see now moving into season four? What's the one thing that you really want to see uh, addressed as a narrative? Oh, God, that's a really good question. I want to see more more about Adira mm-hmm. and her relationship with Gray. And I want to see whether or not they're actually going to be able to put Gray into a situation in which he's be, he's can be seen by everybody. And I think, I mean, I feel like the easiest way to do that is if a hol- holodeck can see him, recognizes him, then just put one of the mobile emitters on him. Oh, interesting, yeah. Because the mobile emitters exist, right? Like, even though Voyager got that from the future, it was a future that was before the time that we're in now. Right. So they're able to co-opt that technology and turn it into something that can be usable. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to see if... And I mean, and it's super interesting that, you know, again, we've not seen this happen with Trill and a former host. And, like, a a lot of that... I think people were like, is she, or is, uh, is Adira seeing him for serious or are they imagining it? And, well, it, it you know, when the, the hollow, uh, when the hollow yeah. recognized him, it was like, oh no, like he's there. Yeah. Unless so. the, ho- the hollow was, they, it was able to extrapolate maybe synaptic patterns of the users inside the hollow. That being part of Adira's synaptic patterns was addressed. In, in a physical form, in at least a holographic form. Yeah, and I mean, Trill, it is uh, established that Trill rejoins the Federation in the finale, so 
I like Trill. I like Trills. So I. I want to see more about Trill. I want to learn more about Adira, and I want to see more of their relationship with Grey. All I know is that um, I thought that Vulcan uh, Grey Tal was awesome. <laughs> awesome. Love the blue hair. Yeah. <laughs> or purplish blue, a, hair. A blue-haired Vulcan. That was awesome. That <laughs> when was he awesome. was in the hollow. Uh, fun. So I, I just, I hope that um, I'm not actually looking for any one specific narrative. I would love to kind of have uh, strange new worlds and the next season of Discovery be more about just kind of like bottle episode exploration and to just to feel that sense of, uh, you know, that sense of exploration, wonder, diplomacy, challenging uh, the just where do they go from here? You know, it's kind of I thought that because of the premise. And because I'm a fan of the show, I always thought that this, you know, season three of Discovery is going to mirror a little bit more of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda uh, that Robert Hewitt Wolf was uh, a writer for, an executive mm-hmm. producer for. And the the similarity is there at kind of like on the paper level, but you know they had their own different storylines. And I just want to see, I want to see where they go. I want to see them explore. I want to see them be uncomfortable and still like reach out to new worlds and to have them join the Federation or. Or not, you know, they could they could be hostile. That would be interesting to me. And I want to see more crew focuses. I want to see more on Reese. I want to see more on OO. You know, I want to see more on Grudge. I want to know more about OO too. Right? I love I love her. And then like she got to save the day at the end, and I was like, yeah. And I still don't know uh, as much. Like she was talking about how she had learned to like hold her breath for like ten minutes 10 at minutes. a time, and I was like, what? Yeah. Under what circumstances can I, I would like to know. And I mean, perhaps that, you know, I feel like the writers don't just throw stuff in randomly. Like she definitely mentioned that for some sort of future situation that we'll learn more about. Hopefully. I mean. Yeah. Filipino pearl divers, they would, they train themselves to hold their breaths at, you know, some pretty, in, uh, you know, superhuman lengths because that's where you get the pearls. Yeah, I was think I w- I think I was reading that Kate Winslet is in the new Avatar films and whatever character she is, whatever species she is, she learned how to hold her breath for like I think she was at 7 minutes, which is out of control. Yeah, she's a smoker too. How do you ha- do that? Oh, I don't know. I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah. Um she's probably not a smoker anymore is what I'll say mm, about that. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, Holly. Well, I would love to be able to sidebar this and pick it up probably a little bit later on to see how many uh callers we can uh, have in our queue here. But the first up, you know, here's a funny thing is that maybe, um, I don't know if the Admiral, the Vice Admiral uh, had his, his ears uh, prickled a little bit because when we first got on, uh, John joined us just to kind of like give us a, uh, you know, bon voyage, you know, and have a good show. And I said, where's the Vice Admiral been? Well, you know, if you speak his name, he will come. So we have the Vice Admiral on deck with us. How are you, Vice Admiral? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, both of you. How are you both doing? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Great. Yeah. Good to see you both. Good to see you, Norman. It's been a Good while. Holly. Yeah. Hi. So, and um, yeah, I'm just going to start by continuing Holly's point there about how do we want to see Gray come back? Because it's going to happen, right? We know that. Yeah. And would this not be the first actual non-artificial being being uh, in a mobile emitter, if that's what we do, mm. that we know of, that we know of? Yeah, that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that brings up any moral quandaries being in a piece of tech that, you know, holds an actual consciousness that is a former living being, even though is she or I'm sorry, is he actually alive 
or are we dealing with the personification of the memories carried by their partner? And I mean, it's a great question. And I feel like if it was the latter, the personified memories, then I feel like the hollow wouldn't have been able to recognize right? it. I feel, I feel like gray is, is a spirit or a ghost or, you know, definitely like his consciousness, like however you, whatever you want to interpret it as. But I feel like if the hollow is recognizing him and other people can see him at that point. Which they did, obviously. Right. I feel like it's more than just Adira's thoughts. Right. So does that mean that he's uh, some actual form of ghost in, in this I mean, listen, go, go, <laughs> let's just, let's gonna, get him a I'm, candle. Let's get him a candle. And we'll I'm going to pop into the, uh, into the chat here because, it, and, and this is something that Dave Taylor asked, and this is an interesting point. You know, we can get philosophical on this because it's not the first time that we've done this before in Trek and won't be the last. Dave Taylor says, does he existing prove the existence of a soul? So how do you feel about that uh, in terms of what the hollow uh, on the ship was able to extrapolate being there? Because... Um, it very well could be like an energy signature if you want to if you want to uh, sanitize what yeah. the, the religious aspect of a soul could be. Yeah. How do you explain that? How do you feel about that? I just hope that if that's the direction they go, that they decide to do an actual proper storyline about it and not just uh, another throwaway. Oh well, here's the science, and we're going to take right. that tack and be done with it. And if that's the case, if he really is a soul or energy signature or whatever, um, why haven't holodecks recognized anybody else? Because if there's just souls wandering around the Enterprise or the Voyager, like why why hasn't a holodeck recognized them? Well, it's very well possible that you know that energy is is in some way tethered to Adira. So sometimes Absolutely. that there's, um, you know, there, there is the religious, uh, the, the religious aspect of a soul being in quote unquote purgatory, not having either moved on the spiritual plane to heaven or hell, depending on what religion you believe in. But there is, you know, there's that holding area where the energy has not been able to transition uh, and that's probably where Gray, Gray has not been able to yet transition because their love was so strong that it transcends uh, Gray's ability to be able to just become energy that dissipates into the ether. How does that sound? That sounds pretty good, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or maybe, oh, maybe there's an these? awful lot. Maybe there's an awful lot more souls down in the bowels of discovery that's the size of L.A. County. <laughs> I mean, anything's possible at this point because, you know, what I love about it is that sometimes things just don't have to be explained. You know, sometimes it's nice to be able to go into the, uh, I don't know, the uh, undiscovered country, if you will. Oh, my God. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. The undiscovered country is the future, though, not not what, not things that are not explained to us in the show. <laughs> It is the, the 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 future is unexplained, right? It's the unexplained, right? Uh, there's so many people in chat talking about Sub Rosa now. I'm sorry I brought this up. <laughs> oh, that was a, that was guaranteed to come up though. I mean, and if we go into that place next season, it's going to come up again and again. Oh, uh, it's the worst episode of TNG, you guys. I agree, hundred percent. <laughs> well, wait, worse worse than Code of Honor? 
yes. Yes. Because, because Code of Honor was early and you can make excuses for it. Sub Rosa, not so much. It's so late. Sub Rosa, I have to leave the room. I'm All right, like, so- I cannot... That's I mean I know that we're not going to have a poll, but we're going to have a poll. <laughs> it's going to be we're going to vote on worst TNG episode ever, Sub Rosa or Code of Honor. That's going to be the next poll. I think I give I, listen. Code of Honor is awful, just yeah. terrible. But I do feel like I sort of give it a pass because it was so early and they were still getting there. I mean, that's first season. That's like the third episode. Like they're still getting their footing. But yes, yeah, Brosa is just awful. And for, for, oh my God, five years ago now, during the 50th anniversary, I live tweeted every single episode of Star Trek that existed at that point, which was before Discovery was even wow. a thing. But um, I remember live tweeting that episode and being like, listen, guys, I have to... I have it on in the background, but I'm going to go make dinner. I can't watch this episode. <laughs> I can't. I have to leave the room. It makes me so uncomfortable, especially when like Picard walks in on Beverly and she's just writhing around in that chair. I'm like, oh, God, it's so bad. All right. I'll put that on tonight with my turkey, <laughs> with my turkey sandwich. <laughs> Anywho, um, we do have. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. More behind me. I know. So I yeah. will get out of their way. But Norman, no, 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 Molly, no. great to see you. I have one. I mean, I, I would like to ask that one question of you, uh, Vice okay. Admiral. Uh, the same thing I asked uh, Holly before we got you on is like, in uh, what would you like to see in season four? What narrative or just what new, you know, what what new aspect of Star Trek that we haven't tackled yet? That throw it out there to the writers. Maybe they're listening. Maybe they're not. But uh, anything that you say is trademark mission log. I just want to put that out there. Uh, I would like to see them move past the, you know, bringing, you know, nostalgia or or past storylines or even a lot of the old stuff that we're going, we, we want to see the Federation reformed. But at the end of the day, there is so much more out there that can be, especially as long as the, the spore drive is still a fully functional thing. Use it. Use it to explore like Star Trek is supposed to do. Find new things and bring them back. Don't continue focusing on the past. Men- how many years, you know, 900 years in the future means we should be able to do some things that aren't constantly referencing the past. So you're saying, if, if I could translate this for all the listeners out there, and you said it so eloquently, but I'm just going to break it down into, you know, a little bit more layman's terms. You want them to seek out strange new worlds. You want them to, uh, new civilizations, and you want them to boldly go into the future where no person has gone before in the 900 years. That's what you're trying to say. I, I think that I, I, you've coined a new phrase there. A whole new phrase. <laughs> in, so in so many words. In so many words. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just want to get, you know, just to the, the, the base elements. Of Interestingly it. enough, in explaining that, he's using nostalgia. I know. I know. I just say, <laughs> oh, the irony is so ironic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, well, it was good to see you. And I'm glad you called in. You know, I, you both I mean, too. I've been, uh, I've been missing my little, my little vice admiral here. You know? <laughs> and so have the fans. I'm sure they are excited to see you as well. Miss you too, Norman. Even though we have yet to meet in person, I very much look forward to that. Oh, we Hopefully, will. Hopefully, next we will. Time Vegas happens. Cross those fingers, and uh, we'll ha- we'll make it happen, Captain. I mean, sorry, Admiral. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't. Good night to both of you. Take care. All right, take Bye. care. Bye. Good to see you. All right, you too. So before we jump into the next call, I just wanted to uh, do what we do here and pay a little thanks to the people that keep our on the air rolling. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Eagle Moss Hero Collector Star Trek Bookshop. Stop me if you've heard this one. (laughs) So while Mission Log listeners are undoubtedly familiar with all the various collections of model starships gleaned from every corner of the Star Trek universe by Eagle Moss Hero Collector, they may not be familiar with the wide, 
and ever-expanding variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available online at the Eagle Moss shop. Fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive, you're distracting me, definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published, each extensively researched and developed by Hugo Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Books from the Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the, in the Star Trek TV shows and movies from the original series forward to Discovery and backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, Andorians, Tellarites, and Bajorans. Books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and detail of ships from every era. There are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. So with that kind of wide variety of books at your disposal, there's something for every Star Trek fan of every generation or next generation or future generations. Plus, every um, every uh, customer and friend of Mission Log Live use code MISSION10 at checkout, receive 10% off all books and graphic novels. So browse around their shop, visit herocollector.com forward slash books and use promo code mission 10 at checkout for your 10% discount. I got thrown a loop a little bit here. I was I was looking at the chat and I was looking at our script because there's a, I think there's going to be a um, when it's safe or safer, maybe a dinnertime conversation that you and Bob are going to have, your, your dad. Because I know, I know Holly hated Sabrosa, but I have to admit that I sort of liked it. Dad. I'm just, I'm just you, throwing it out there. This, I can't, is, this, this, this is all public domain, so... This is a lie. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't think he did. It's no. out there. He could be trolling you. I don't. All right, know, whatever. Teach their own. I. You can watch it. I'll leave the room. <laughs> All right. Well, we, while we chew on that, and and uh, I, if you do have that conversation with your dad, please record it. <laughs> that would be amazing. We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get Chris up on here. So, hey, Chris, how you doing, my friend? Happy doing New Year. Good. Yes, Happy New Year to you. Good to see you. Uh, very much looking forward to the supplemental in which Holly argues with her dad about Sabrosa. Um, yeah, guys, on that. My dad is the reason why I'm a Star Trek fan. Like, have I ever told this story? Like that when I was a kid, my dad, so the next generation premiered when I was 16 months old. I don't remember there being a time in which the next generation was not. And my dad was always watching reruns of the original series. He was a fan back when it had premiered. Um, he was in high school and watched it with his uh, girlfriend, with his high school sweetheart. Um, I have very vivid memories as a kid of hearing the intro to The Next Generation and running up our hallway into the living room to watch it with my dad. When I rewatched the entirety of The Next Generation, I think I was in high school when I rewatched the whole thing, there was so much of the teasers that I missed because I only ever saw from the intro after because like the music is what prompted me to be like oh star trek is on and i would so i there's i missed like the intro to every episode so it was like it was like watching new new material when i rewatched the whole thing so you're like legitimately a next generation baby yeah oh yeah i was born in i was born in 86 and and it premiered in 87 that's awesome. Uh, but the first episode that I remember watching live was... Sabrosa. No. <laughs> if that was my first memory of Star Trek, 
we can shut it down right now. No, the best of both worlds part one. I was four oh, years oh. old and the Borg scared me and they still wow. scare me. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's my little story of how I became a Star Trek fan. Well, that's going to be a heck of a dinner time conversation. Invite me over. I'll bring the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, season three of Discovery. Now, I know like you've called in, at least for the show set that I've been able to host with Holly. I know that you've called in almost every single time. And you've had a lot of great insight and a lot of great reflection on, on the season, especially on the episodes. So where are you in, in the poll, if you had to vote or if you already voted? Where are you with season three? How did you feel about it overall as a season um, where did you feel its strengths were? Did you feel it had any weaknesses? Confess. Um, yeah, I'm definitely in the in the liked it category. I'm not quite to loved it, um, but it did do a lot of things right. I've been sort of like percolating on this, and I think one of the things that if I could change, I would is the burn, especially as we got into later episodes felt a little kind of MacGuffin-y that we just needed a mystery for the sake of mystery and padding out our 13 episodes. And I would have found it really interesting if we had wrapped up the burn in like eight or nine, and then the back half could have been like, I don't know, all about Osira and the chain. I really hope we see more of the chain in season four, just this idea of kind of like the ideological like split and I think the chain could be a really powerful and interesting sort of character to play with. Uh, but yeah, a little MacGuffin-y, but good, good character stuff. Can I ask a question? This yeah, young, la- young lady in the back with your I hand was, up. I was raising my hand. Uh, I didn't want to cut you off. Um, <laughs> were you impressed with what the cause of the burn was? Were you like surprised, intrigued, like... I feel like I was a little bit let down. I'm excited that we got to see more Kelpians. I'll say that. But the explanation for what the burn actually was, I was a little bit like, that's, I feel a little bit let down. I think it it was interesting, but I also feel like I kind of got it in Sukal. Like, I don't think we need, like, they wanted to have the big reveal in 13 where, like, it's Sukal. And I feel like most people like kind of clock that already they're like oh mystery kelpian out here in the middle of nowhere next to the lithium planet it's probably him somehow so i i don't think that was a bad like reveal but i think they like the sort of the weight they wanted to have in 13 didn't really land for me ah the weight that's a good way to put it very good yes and i think that's that's a good way of looking at it and, and for me i i think that the reason why it lost its momentum is because we, you know, we did this side story with Giorgio, and I understand why that happened. I really do. And I'm not saying that they were poorly produced or poorly acted, none of that. It's just that you were building the story up where, you know, Burnham, she was searching for the black boxes. She was trying to negotiate with Vance and go out there and find the causes of the burn. And all of that momentum stopped. And when you stop that kind of momentum and then go and completely shift the narrative in such a radical way, trying to get that back, you're like, what are we talking about again? Oh, yeah, 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 that was cool. But why did we stop talking about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. So it was, it was a huge kind of uh, momentum uh, shift and in, in a disruption in the narrative to the point where you get to Sakal, you're like, oh, it's, 
I wouldn't say it was underwhelming. It's just that it was un, it was mistimed because of that distraction, because of those two episodes. And hey, how do you, you know, you can't really go up against the Guardian of Forever when it comes to distractions. I mean, the Guardian of Forever, right? It's it's a Star Trek legend. And Sukala yeah. wasn't, and, you know. That's how I yeah. feel about it. I don't know, Chris. What do, you, what do you think? No, I definitely, I think I've, yeah, the mirror, I, we talked about this. The mirror is kind of played out. And yeah, we, you probably, if you really wanted to, probably could have made the Giorgio thing just one episode as a backdoor pilot. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's part of it. I'm trying to think, but you no, know, I still think like up to, up to that point and even beyond that, they were doing very well. And I like, like week to week, I really liked what I was seeing. I think it's just kind of when I step back and look at it holistically, you know, there are a couple of stumbling blocks, especially towards the end. But I, I have hopes for season four. Uh, again, more bridge crew, more bridge crew. This is the hill I will die on. More bridge crew. Did we? So the bridge crew, very randomly, and I, you guys forgive me, she popped up at the end. And I feel like I knew her name and have already forgotten it because she just randomly popped up. There's. There's a girl that was on the bridge, brunette, and she just like appears in the last episode. Yeah, who was that? And she, yeah, and I <laughs> so, was like, so I was I was reading about that. At first, I thought it was um, uh, what's your name, Nielsen. I was like, wait, that's not Nielsen. That's no, somebody no. else. Apparently, no, and I've already, I knew her name, and I've already forgotten it because that's how much we got to know her. And she played like, so, I mean, she had a talking role in the last episode, and it was, you know, she was part of that whole them trying to get to the nacelle to blow it up and knock him out of warp. And I was like, who? Where did you come from? I, I don't well, know who you are. The deal with that apparently is that. Um, Sarah Mittich, who plays Nielsen, had a scheduling conflict, and so she couldn't be there. And so they got her, and she's who's in the, and I don't remember what they're called, but the big kind of bulbous alien, you know. Yeah, that's the actress inside of it. I knew that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who she is, like, in-universe. I I haven't a clue. I mean, (laughs) to be fair, there's... There was a lot of scheduling conflicts with the actors, especially for the last episode. If you look really closely at Tig's character at Jet Reno on the bridge, that's not Tig. It's a stand-in because she wasn't there. So I, from a production standpoint, like, yeah, okay, but this character had a talking role. And I was like, "You, we don't know enough about you for you to be important in this. I, I thought but, I was losing my mind. I was like, they ha- because you have this tight bridge crew, right? You know, it's all of a sudden, say, for example... I'm going to use the original series because it's just it's just fresh in my mind. So you have Sulu, Uhura, Chekhov, but not Chekhov doing something, right? You know, all of a sudden you're like, who are you? And 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 why do you have a crew cut? Because Chekhov had the mop top, right? It'd be, it's like that different. I didn't like know who this person was. I'm like, did you do something? Did I miss an episode? You know? Did, yeah. No, you did. did I mean, yeah. No, you did not miss it. She has a name too. I I'll find it, you guys. Her name is not Nilsson. That's right. It's not Nilsson, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you that same question that I asked the Vice Admiral. And I'm going to and aside from dying on the hill because I don't want you to die anywhere. Um, and I'm a little sad that you're not wearing your headgear for me, but your head is being you know sucked in by a black hole, so maybe that's where your headgear went. I'm not sure. Palmer. Sorry. Was it Palmer? I somebody in chat is saying Palmer. Okay. Uh, sure. But for the for the fourth season. And not bot twenty three because 
that was awesome, right? But what do you want to see? What do you want to see happen? You know uh, that haven't uh, that hasn't been addressed yet either in Star Trek or something that you felt like it was just it was hanging. You know, didn't leave you satisfied. Ina, Lieutenant Ina. That's it's not Palmer. It's Lieutenant Ina. That's uh, I knew I'd recognize it. Okay, I'm done. Keep going. Oh, um, I think what I want to see, I want to see more. And obviously, we got a lot of this this season, but I want to see more of Tilly's kind of command arc because that honestly felt a little cut off in the finale. It was like, and Michael's captain now, and Tilly's still there, but we never got like a kind of button scene for Tilly's command arc. So I'd like to see more of her. I would really like to see her and Michael and if Saru comes back, kind of like co-command as a trio, kind of like a Bone Spot Kirk kind of three parts of the whole style thing. I would the like card Riker Troy. Uh, uh. Yeah, also, also yeah. good. Yeah, but I would like to see sort of either the command triangle or at least sort of address what Tilly, what Tilly's doing. Do you not think that Tilly's going to get her own command? I think that's a possibility, but I think there's also, we didn't get anything, you know, seeding that in the finale. Right. Like, I, I totally believe that's a route they could take, but it's just like we sort of let that one go. So, but no, I, I that would be interesting. Um, I, I mean, I, I agree with you there, Chris, because I think the one thing that it maybe it just sidelined Tilly's character a little bit is all of a sudden, you know, Tilly was put in that situation where. You know, she led that team to the nacelle and, you know, she she did say what she was going to do. It's like we're either going to do it or die trying. That is she led that team. She's a leader. And then all of a sudden, Michael Burnham's on the case. And I'm not going to like I'm not going to throw shade on Michael Burnham, but I'm just saying that when Tilly was there and the chips were going down, Tilly proved that she can do the hard make the hard choices, do the hard thing. And then all of a sudden it became too hard for her. And then she's like, no, Michael's got to do it. Like, no, that's not how it works. Right. You you are captain of the ship you stay captain of the ship, right? I mean, Spock wouldn't have given it up. I mean, he did give it up to Kirk in a way, in two, but, you know, Spock was like, hey, man, like, this isn't a, this isn't a combat mission. This is a training cruise, you know? Now it isn't. Now you're captain. So, uh, <laughs> you know? so I think that it would have been a little bit better, say, maybe if, um, if there was something more, more dire of a consequence then just tell you like, ah, oh, no, this is like the command decision is too hard. I think that Michael should take it because, you know, she she flies around giant elevator rooms and stuff. You're real stuck on that. Everybody's real stuck on that. I mean, I get it. I was irritated too. Like, where are they? Where where are they on this ship? Where who? It's so big. Where is it? It's timey wimey, wibbly wobbly, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, we have one last caller to get to. So I just want to say. Thank you, Chris, for calling in. And um, super good to see you, my friend. And uh, we will get you and uh, all the, the patrons who support us on Patreon.com into that private uh, call soon and just catch up. And uh, that would be fantastic. But you better bring all your right. headgear or I'll be sad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I will bring the headgear to the patron call. All right. Yeah. Good seeing you both. Cheers. Right. Take care. And uh, Hi. Happy- hey, look at you. You got a mug, too. I know, I'm part oh, of the mud club now. I have a clean... Where did you get yours? Uh, I have a, a, friend, I on. a friend got it for me um, for a birthday, and it finally arrived, handmade off Etsy. Yeah, I was like, wow. that looks like it was fired by somebody. That's cool. Yay! Yeah, also, the, bottom, the bottom says, it is a good day for Rakugino. Well done, That's sir. Cute. Well done. All right, buddy, take care. Thanks for calling right. in. 
we'll, we'll talk to you later. All right. And uh, next up on the list, we have the man of many puns. Uh, he is uh, uh, the memer extraordinaire, Mr. Allen S. How are you, my friend? Hey, yes. My reputation precedes me as always. It does. And I can't wait for this week's meme. You better be on point, sir. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. This, this, you know, Norman, we we seem to catch each other on the tough weeks. (laughs) Because this, I'm going to have to watch this one again. Because I was like, hmm, this is, this is uh, a lot, a lot of stuff to, to sift through. Yeah, John gets in the cards. I get call to arms. So, yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, you yeah you've got to recap it. So you know, oh, it was not easy. Oh man. Yeah, that's why that episode is going to be three hours long. Not really. Well, we will find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So, um, final thoughts, man, on season three of Discovery. How'd you feel about it? How did it sit with you? Well, um, like Chris. I was in the like it section of the, of the vote on the, on the Twitter poll. Uh, there were definitely overall, I'm satisfied, happy with it. Um, there was stuff that I thought could be, could have been done a little bit better. I know you guys were talking about the Detmer PDST thing earlier. I, I, I think there were a lot of things like that, that sort of felt um, underserved um, in the whole grand scheme of things. Like, um, this is something that I, that I picked up on and I mentioned this in a different forum and I started a whole big debate on it, but in the, I think it was episode 12 when, uh, it's a great powerful scene when Anthony's, uh, talking with, um, Aurelio, uh, and he's like, you know, Oh, I see you have several children. Mm-hmm. I have one too. Mm-hmm. I was like, I hope they've discussed that because that's something that I'm not entirely sure came across on screen. Like definitely it felt like there was a mentorship going on and friendship and a whole bunch of, you know, support and feelings. But I think if you're going to call somebody your child, that's something that has to be discussed. Mm-hmm. And for us in the audience, that's something that needs to be discussed explicitly on screen. And, you know, I think that it when uh, Hugh finally met up with Adira and Gray, I said last week that was a great scene. Um, that sort of made me feel a little bit better about the whole situation because it did sort of give that sort of warm familial vibe. Uh, but Hugh, Hugh does that with everybody. <laughs> He's great. You know, he's like the, the cuddly warm blanket of, of discovery. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to see stuff like that treated a little bit more upfront than just try to have it. I think they're having, trying to have it both ways a little bit where they've got these big things happening, but they don't address it specifically. And they're trying to like say, Oh, well, you know, we implied it with, you know, A, B, and C throughout the course of the series. It's like, mm, we can do a little bit better than that. Well, I mean, it's also possible that he was using that as just a way to connect. You know, yeah. I, I mean, there, there's probably some truth in it. And it might, it, it might come up in, in season four where Hugh feels more attached uh, to them, to Adira, and 
they they haven't talked about it explicitly. You're right. Yeah. And that may be an issue between <clears throat> between um, Stamets and Culber. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it is something that is obviously uh, Adira is important to both of them. Just maybe in one way, Stamets sees it as a relationship, like a mentorship relationship. And that's how some parents are. And then Culber is more of the, uh, you know, more of the paternal. You know, there's the yeah. nature, like there's the nature versus the nurture that's going on. I think here, um, and and it may develop. We never know. We we don't know what's going to happen in season four. But I do agree that uh, there was it was a little abrupt. Hence my questions earlier about were these stories with Giorgio timed right or placed right or uh, utilized in the narrative for its best effect. In my opinion, I don't think so because a lot of these larger issues did not have enough time to breathe. And again, they can get rectified in the next season, but that's not when we want to see it happen. We want to see it happen within the main narrative of what's happening in this season. So I can see where you're getting at with that. Yeah. Um, On the flip side, the, the element that I think I'm happiest with is the overall narrative of the burn. Um, I think there was sort of this implicit expectation coming into the, this season that they were going to have this big epic catastrophe that changed the nature of the Federation. And, you know, and that by the end of this season, they would have solved it and that, you know, we would be in some way, shape, or form back to the type of federation that we're used to. And I think they made the bolder choice to not have that happen and to leave it in a place where they have to rebuild. And that, you know, they're not just going to go and I think my assumption was they're going to get through all of this, find out what happened 120 years ago, time travel back to it, stop that from happening, come back to the future and everything's great. And I think that that's something that I'm glad we avoided because a, that means that an entire season of, of uh, stories is wiped out (laughs) by the, by the reset button. You know, we've, we've been through that (laughs) in other TV situations in the past and it hasn't been received well. But yeah, just, but now they have sort of a blank slate to sort of build off of and see where they can boldly go with it. Yeah, I am excited that we're going to be able to see the Federation get rebuilt because we know when the Federation became a thing, but it's never been portrayed on in a series like when it originally was formed when the federation was originally formed so the next best thing i guess is to see it when it gets reformed <laughs> after all of this re-reformed re-reformed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you wouldn't consider you wouldn't consider the um you know those the few episodes in enterprise the birth of the federation I mean, ish, but there was like versions of the Federation that were before, like the, that's the United Federation of Planets existed in another form before Enterprise, before those episodes, and so did Starfleet. So, yeah. 
to see those earlier incarnations, I think would be really interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, we don't, we, we've never been able to see everything that's worked up to that. We've only known through dialogue that, you know, other things existed, you know, like friendship one and Voyager, there's some talks about it. Um, but yeah, how we went from like NASA and all of that into what. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. 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 You want to see the montage as Enterprise happened, like in real time. Like with- Besides, Enterprise seasons five through seven covered all that stuff, guys. Come on. Oh, man, I missed that. I lost my DVDs. And they don't stream it anymore. I'm so sad. <laughs> all right, uh, Alan, we have a, a, one, uh, a little bit of time here just for like one last, um, one last nope. point. And, and again, like uh, if there's something specifically in season four. Uh, that you really want to see covered, aside from what we just talked about, because I know you, you want to see some resolution to some of uh, the story with Adira, Stamets, yeah. and Culber. But what what have you not been able to see yet in Star Trek Discovery that you would like to see? Not in these first three seasons. Well, just not so much something new or different, but just continue to be bold. Consider uh, continue to make the unexpected choices. Um, uh, continue to bring us more aliens. You know, make it make it uh, as, so? as, the, as the regular <laughs> cast. You know, yeah, I thought we were going to get that with Rin, but uh, unfortunately not. So yeah, just uh, you know, show us show us more new things. All right, fair so, enough. Fair enough. Holly, it's been uh, it's been awesome talking with you guys, and hopefully we get to talk again again soon next time. And uh, we are we are. Uh, Waiting with bated breath and pins and needles for the meme for this week. Don't let me down. I know you'll do a great job. If not, uh, the agonizer, please. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alan, for calling in. Appreciate it, man. See you guys. All right, see ya. Uh, and last but not least, I think we'll be closing up the show here. We have plain and simple Brian, uh, quote unquote, our tailor for the show. Plain simple Brian. Okay. What's up, my man? <laughs> How are you? Welcome back, Norman. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You have a Borg standing over your shoulder. I just, you know, I don't know if you I know that. Where? <laughs> no. Oh, that's Hugh. He's still hanging around. All right. That was uh, Holly's birthday present. Um, you no. Know, when no, she. I actually, you know what? I actually have a life sized cutout of it's not a Borg. It's Chris Pine. <laughs> it's Kirk. You it's, too? It's right behind me. It's behind my couch. <laughs> of which, from which movie? Like which which kind of stance? Like two thousand nine. All right, gotcha. Where he does not have very much. Fo- so there were two different photo shoots that they did with that. With two thousand nine and one, they he and Zachary Quinto were like airbrushed within a oh my god life. Yeah, they're like and like porcelain. The, and then the other one, they're not airbrushed at all. So like you can see all of Chris's like acne scars and stuff. That's what I have. That's the real pine. That's the real pine. <laughs> yeah. The, the freshest smelling pine. Would there be acne in the 23rd century? Really? Absolutely. Well, they can't, they can't <laughs> DNA, they can't resequence his DNA. That's against the law. Oh, you know? That's kind of an extreme to go to for, uh, you know, <laughs> to fix your acne. So what's happening, man? How'd you like, uh, let's talk Discovery Season 3. Oh, gosh. Can I complain about turbo lifts? You can. Oh, this is your time. <laughs> this is your time, sir. This is your hill, and these are our beans. I'm just well. We saw this before in the Q and A on board the Enterprise. It's like the interior of starships are apparently giant pachinko machines or 
pinball machines, roller coasters, running around. And it's just, uh, it, it pulls me out of the story every time because it just seems so unrealistic. But I guess the producers of Star Trek kind of see the Enterprise or the Discovery as a magical place, like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory where, you know, Wonka Vaders can fly around. <laughs> it just kind of, it just kind of grates on me a little bit. And I know people are going to say, shut up, Grandpa. No, I mean, you're not the only one that's complaining (laughs) about that. And I was discussing with Norman and we discussed it earlier uh, last week with Champion is that I I was like, it doesn't make sense. But I tried to create a headcanon that it's like that episode of Enterprise's future tense where they find that futuristic ship and they go into it and it's essentially the TARDIS. Like it's bigger on the inside as I was like, I'm trying to come up with something in my head that makes sense. But this is still oh. the discovery from the 23rd century. It, it, they didn't like retrofit it to put a huge. They could have. Why couldn't they have? They retrofit a bunch of other stuff. It's got programmable well, they out, matter like, now. 17 decks. And yeah. Well, yeah. If the whole ship's programmable matter, then it is the TARDIS. They can do anything at once. And I don't know. It There's just, your headcanon. There's yep. your headcanon. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> my headcanon is, you know, my sense of disbelief has been suspended too long i think i don't know but on on the on the positive side how did you feel about the season on the positive side oh there's a on the, or on the plus side on the plus side i should say um for the for the season overall um i think it was more engaging there's a bit more of a linear story that you could follow and they didn't change producers every five episodes and kind of jerk the story back and forth like we did in the first two seasons. So and on that note, I would say it was probably good. Um, I think we set it up for, you know, more of a, perhaps more of a traditional fourth season where a ship is going around doing good deeds throughout the galaxy. And that uh, that's a good thing. Uh, I don't know if we're going to, I don't know about you. Did this feel like sort of like a soft finale, the way everybody just kind of landed on their feet and everybody had happily ever after. And it's like, like, in case they didn't get funded next season, they can say, oh, well, uh, uh, well th- there we go. That's the end of the show, you know? It I mean, feeling to it. I feel like I would have preferred that over like them doing a cliffhanger and then getting canceled, which has happened a lot. When I, I remember when I was uh, in high school, there was a show called Odyssey 5. Have I discussed this before? If I have, I'm sorry. Uh, my apologies. There was a, it was on Showtime, Odyssey 5. It had Peter Weller, Christopher Gorham, played his son, and they were both. Mm-hmm astronauts on a ship that watched Earth get blown up. There are five of them. That's why it's Odyssey 5. Mm-hmm. And they somehow go back in time and they're supposed to save the planet. Uh, and it ends on a hardcore cliffhanger and then the show got canceled. And it has bothered me until literally today. Like, it still bothers me. So... I mean, it was the same thing for like Farscape, you know, at the end of season four. And then we got like that, that super like ham-fisted uh, Peacekeeper Wars, which you can't tell a season of Farscape in, in two hours. Uh, but well, they I mean, it, it could have been worse. I mean, it, it could have been like, you know, the Enterprise going into, you know, into orbit and being attacked by Nazi Messerschmitts. So I'm just saying, you know, it's <laughs> you never know what's going to happen with a bad cliffhanger. So at least Farscape, they did land on their feet. Yeah, Farscape and Firefly got a bit of a reprieve with uh, like, like a wrap up. They had a chance to wrap up. I think I think with Discovery, though, I think because of the way that season two ended, I don't think that the audience was just going to be able to swallow like uh, another uh, harangued type of emotional 
uh, end to it. You know, they wanted something that was, you know, uh, that 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 closed the loop, that closed the journey, so that they can start literally like from the ground moving forward. Like Holly was saying, I think it would be cool to see like if this crew and Discovery was literally the first, the true first flagship of the, the new Federation that's going to go out and use the spore drive to do what they need to do. And um, I mean, that's just me being the optimist. I hope that happens, but you never know. I think the one thing that's um, a little bit troubling though, with, with the way that not just, not just discovery, but Picard too, is you have a, a room of very talented people, but I've always felt that when you have a single visionary showrunner writer, stories tend to be a little bit more economical and their narratives are a little tighter because you're not dealing with mm-hmm. so many moving pieces. Now that's not to say that that can't work. It's just that it's very rare for that to happen. Like Ron, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica, for example, uh, Babylon five, for example, you know, these are, these are single visionary uh, visionaries that are creating this overall narrative and having very little, um, uh, nuancing going on with their team. But, you know, every single time that you see a new Discovery episode, you see new writer, new director, executive producers are there, obviously, but you don't really feel like that they're all moving in the same direction, per se. And I think right. that's where I get a little unsettled with um, some of the uh, emotional uh, fluctuation, I, I would say, if you will, um, with a season like this. But again, overall, we didn't have um, the executive producers kind of hand off multiple times like they did in season one and two. True, true, true. Yeah, yeah. So sure. that's why I said it felt a little tighter than the last two seasons. But um, always room for improvement. <laughs> so uh, in season four, uh, we have time for just one more question here, BC. In season four, I'm sorry, plain, simple, Brian. Just plain, simple, Brian. What would you like to see happen in season four? Um, to boldly go to where no, no, that's been done. Um, well, it's sort of, <laughs> don't steal my line. That's copyrighted by me. <laughs> well, we actually have a series called strange new worlds. It's supposed to do that. So, um, be more episodic. It would be, it would be nice to have a more episodic series for a while. Maybe. I mean, you can make the arcs a little more subtle and not be the grand, you know, um, Negus, make, uh, make uh, Negus. the uh, the the plot driver for the entire season. You know, you can have smaller smaller arcs. I really like them to use each series as a different vehicle in terms of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we like, don't know what they're going to do with Brave New World or, or Strange New World <laughs> or Brave New World. I mean, uh, if they make <laughs> if they make that the vehicle for like bottle episodes and like that's that version of storytelling, and then you know we have Lower Decks, which is sort of bottle episodes, but then they kind of have a, a, a line, and then Discovery is fully serialized. Like, I would be totally cool with them having all of those, and then you have Short Tracks, which mm-hmm. yeah. is a completely different unprecedented because I don't think any other franchise is doing that right now. And lower well, decks because so you have all these different specific flavors. Yeah, and then and then we have Prodigy which is a, a children's show, but I'm certainly going to watch it. Oh yeah. Yeah, well I I thought lower decks as being like, you know, the Star Trek's built-in uh, Galaxy Quest which we were talking about last time. Um a place where you can have fun with Star Trek, you know, off to the side somewhere. Like I was saying earlier about kind of the absurdity of some of the things. It's like, yeah, put the 
giant uh, roller coaster ride over on uh, the Cerritos and keep it off of the other shows because it kind of makes it seem a little less serious than they're. I think they're going for. So, so you're saying that you would buy, you would have bought more of like if they were rolling around a giant beryllium sphere, a Just, giant you know. beryllium sphere mm-hmm. <laughs> board. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and and I think that Holly makes a really good point. I think that. If every Star Trek series had its own very specific flavor, that means that audiences can really tune into all of them, if you want to, or just the ones that stay in that lane, that flavor that you like so much. And if they do manage to cross over, that's okay, but they really won't because they're all in different timelines and even in different genres, uh, if you will, like animation versus live action. So I think it would be neat if... It's like now you're going to get like the Star Trek channel. There's enough series right now where you could like literally flip through what I love that idea because I every time, you know, I hear somebody complain that one of the series that is currently on right now is not their cup of tea, which I fully expect like there to be people that don't like a certain series. I instead of there being like there's there's nothing for you, like if there's a whole bunch of series, like there's going to be at least one thing for you. Yeah. I was on different uh, sets of uh, executive producers for these shows. Like Kurtzman does this thing, and someone else does that thing. Kind of like with uh, the Mandalorian, you know, is a totally separate producer from the other films of Star Wars. Yeah, you. I mean, you could do that, but then you run the the risk of them doing their own thing and things getting disjointed in terms of continuity. Yeah, and then I mean, you have a whole other fandom complaining about things. <laughs> there was a, uh, I would say that has already happened. But <laughs> in my new Airbnb, um, I've been trying to find like just something to watch. And, and I came upon the Pluto app on the smart TV there. And I love how they handle it because one channel is just all wings, which is one of my favorite shows of from the 90s. Yeah. And one channel was all, I don't know why this hasn't been played up more. One channel was all Bob Ross, all Bob Ross all day long. <laughs> It's like the greatest channel in the world. Yeah. Right? They had the James Bond channel for the longest time. Yeah, but this is Bob Ross, man. You, gotta watch <laughs> you get to watch painting all day long. It's the most like soothing tonic of ever. What are I would put that on in the background. I'd put that on in the background while I was working on it's other the original things in my ASMR. apartment. Like, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, all we need to do is like if he somehow, if someone out there, someone talented out there could like splice him painting like the paintings that like Picard had of like the Enterprise, the Galaxy class, like in a video, that would be like <laughs> the greatest thing ever. It's like, I'm going to put a little happy window here. It doesn't matter where it goes. It could go on the front. Can, these are I your think you windows. found your calling, Norm. Right, these <laughs> are your windows. Get yourself a And here, over a here, a little photon torpedo. It can blow. <laughs> it can destroy ships, but it doesn't matter. You could erase it if you want. It's your photon torpedo. So right for Norman's new uh, easel and uh, palette. That'd be the greatest that. thing ever. Bob Ross does Star Trek. <laughs> right? William Shatner does Bob Ross. I'm going to paint a tree. Oh, I'm my God. Paint. I'm going to paint it the way I want to paint Captain it. Captain be- Kirk is painting a mountain. Why is he painting right. a mountain? Why is he painting a mountain? Why am I painting a mountain? <laughs> because it's there. Because the cobalt blue says I have to put it there. So This is incredible. Oh, yeah, the caffeine has gotten my second wind, that's for sure. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we're going to have to cut this one short because we are out of time. There's not enough time to talk about time. We don't have the time, Holly. Time is the fire in which we burn. Yes, and then we gave me a shot of something called tequila. 
And then end of the show. So uh, thanks, BC. I'm sorry we got derailed there for a second, but hey, you know, that's what happens when Bob Ross and William Shatner get mentioned in the same show. It just happens that way. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll get you next time playing Simple Brian. But, I will uh, see you later. I don't know how much longer we have Holly, but it's been... Fun. Oh, yeah. I should probably say something. Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is my last show until maybe something in the future. And I'm so glad that you and I have <laughs> had a chance to kind of reconnect because I had the greatest time podcasting with you. It's been such a blast, Holly. And uh, if it weren't for this ridiculous situation that we're in for the pandemic, you literally like only live like 20, maybe 25 minutes away from Yeah, oh, yeah we live really close together. So if we ever have a chance to at least safely meet up one day, I would love to just say hi in yeah. person and uh, see all the wonderful new work that you've done. <laughs> Um, thank you for having me and thank you to all of the kind fans in the chat for welcoming me and for being nice. (laughs) Um, I've really enjoyed myself. I could talk about Star Trek all day. So having an hour once a week is certainly not enough, but it's something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I've, I've really had a great time with you and champion both. So. Well, we're glad that you came on board and, uh, you know, it's it's never goodbye uh, in podcasting. It's always just kind of to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Fire. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. You know? So I know it's intense. I got intense at the end. I don't know why. I just did. <laughs> like I said, second second uh, second wind of caffeine. So anywho, uh, thank you, Holly, for everything that you've done uh, for this uh, review of Star Trek Discovery. And, and it was really great podcasting with you. I hope we get a chance to do it again. But until then... Thank you to all of you in, uh, that, that were listening and uh, your amazing comments in the chat, especially Bob Amos. Um, we're going to have to ha- hear about that conversation when that happens. Uh, Sub Rosa versus Code of Honor. Let's make it happen, Captain. Uh, but until then, again, thank you, everyone. Happy New Year. Great to see everybody. And that's it. So Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment Executive Producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by The Invisible behind the scenes Earl Green (laughs) (laughs) or cloaked I should say be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network if you'd like to support Mission Log directly give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log thanks to everyone who joined us live like all of you or will join us later then again like all of you because you're listening to it later stay safe stay healthy and we look forward to talking with you next week podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network